And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody. Welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 347. We're coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. We're a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network, and we're the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin. I think might be the only Thor podcast at this point. Not really sure if the other one is still running, but we never listen to it anyway, so it doesn't really matter, does it? Anyway, uh, so we are here, and we are back to a relatively normal schedule. Uh, I'm going to be going away next week, but this shouldn't affect the show at all. This will be, of course, because we're on this bi-weekly schedule. This shouldn't interrupt the uh, production schedule even a little bit. Now, you never know what might happen, but I'm, I'm not anticipating any kind of interruption because I'll be gone next week and not this week. So this week is when you're going to be hearing this unless you're listening to it late. All right. So since we've gone so far off the topic... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we do have an issue of Hercules Unbound that we'll be covering this week, but before we do that, we've got a little feedback here. Yeah, um, we have an opinion here on Avengers Endgame, and this comes from our very good friend of the show, Manuel Carmona, the artist-writer of The New Wave. So if you uh, see truthful comics anywhere, and go run out and, and buy this book, because it looks great. Anyway, so Manuel says, Okay, thoughts on Endgame. It had many great moments, many funny moments, and it was a good finale to the 10-year saga that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Do I think it was better than Infinity War? No. The negatives for me, one, I hate that they took away everything that made Hulk awesome and made him a non-factor. Yeah, you know, that, that kind of rubbed me wrong, too. Two, I didn't like that Black Widow died. Three, I would have elaborated on Hawkeye's trip to the dark side a bit more. Three, I would have elaborated on Hawkeye's trip to the dark side a bit more. Four, my worst gripe with the movie was how they turned Thor from being the one who literally saved their asses in Infinity War to being the joke of Endgame. They completely, in my opinion, destroyed the character development that had been laid out through the entire saga and turned Thor into a scared, drunk quitter. I was as disappointed as I've ever been with a movie I'd really wanted to see in terms of Thor. Then, as if that weren't enough... He quits on the rest of the Asgardians and eventually gives up the throne to Valkyrie, another drunk whom he also just met. Also, if you know Thor, you understand the bond between him and Mjolnir. It's not only a hammer. Mjolnir is almost like a living entity. That means a lot to Thor, as seen in Ragnarok and Infinity War. To finally see Thor reunited with Mjolnir and then have him throw it to Cap, telling him, I'll get the big one and you get the small one, almost made me get out of my seat and exit the theater. The things that I liked were far more than the ones that bother me, but what they did with Thor has prevented me from ever seeing it again. Things I enjoyed. 1. The highlight of the movie for me was Captain America not only lifting Mjolnir, but kicking ass with it. That was probably one of my favorite scenes in cinematic history. I forgot to mention that when I did my review. Um, it's very true to the comics, wasn't it? I, I remember, of course, we covered an issue here where uh, Thor... Um, 
gave Captain America the hammer and he was able to wield it. And that, that was back in the, uh, what, Ron Friends, Tom DeFalco era that we've covered some of. Yeah, I really like that too. And I thought it was good that they didn't have him be you know, shocked, horrified by this because I think this was telegraphed back in Age of Ultron when they had that scene where everyone was trying to lift the hammer and he saw that Cap could, could shift it. Anyway, uh, two, the Cap versus Cap scene was good. The final battle was epic. Three, Scarlet Witch was amazing again. Four, Captain Marvel had a good role in the movie. I'm going to disagree with you there. I think they kind of ignored Cap- Captain Marvel. Five, the final battle was nothing short of epic. That's that's true. Tony and Peter's reunion was perfect. I agree. Seeing Pepper as rescue was great. I didn't even know that rescue was a thing. <laughs> anyway, um, seeing Pepper as rescue was great. Eight, seeing all the females band together in that one scene was great. And I think a good setup for the inevitable A-Force movie. Now that, um, yeah, I wonder I wonder if they're going to go that direction. But if they do, they could actually you know, have like She-Hulk and Tigra. And, yeah, so you never know. I mean, maybe, maybe they need to introduce some of those characters first. Of course, they won't have the Black Widow. Uh, but eh, anyway, um, nine, Tony's sacrifice and eventual death was well done. I agree. I'm sure I'm missing a million things, but these are the things off the top of my head. All in all, it was an enjoyable film, and if you're not as interested in Thor as I am, you probably enjoy it more. I give the movie eight Mjolnirs out of ten. All right, well, thanks very much uh, to Manuel, and uh, we always appreciate when we get feedback. And, of course, yeah, uh, you have a lot to say. Be like Manuel. Write in to us. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail. You can talk to us about what you think of Endgame or anything else that we talk about here on the show, even going back all the way to episode number one. All right, so uh, we do have an issue of Hercules Unbound to cover, so let's move ahead with our review. Hercules, hero of song and story, Hercules, winner of ancient glory, fighting for the right, fighting with his might, with the strength of ten ordinary men, Hercules, people are safe when near him, Hercules, only the evil fear him, softness in his eyes, iron in his thighs, virtue in his heart, fire in every part of the mighty. And this week we are looking at Hercules Unbound number nine. The cover price is 30 cents. Cover date, March 1977. Cover art is by Walt Simonson, inked by Bob Layton, which is very odd because this does not look like Bob Layton inks. In fact, if I had to guess who was the inker of this cover, I would say it was Al Milgram because it it reeks of his style. Actually, it's a very Kirby-esque cover. We've got Hercules. He's standing right in the foreground. His pectoral muscles are incredibly deformed, as bad as anything you've seen in a Rob Liefeld drawing. (laughs) It's, It's really not a good drawing. Yeah, not really sure what to say about it. But anyway, he's smashing these sort of fire breathing uh, cannon sort of things that are shooting fire all around. We've got uh, the blind kid Kevin in the background, and he's making this sort of weird pseudo fist thing with with his right hand, and the other hand he's doing some sort of uh, jazz hand gesture. 
over his head. Uh, we've got his dog who is kind of snarling at the fire cannons that Hercules is smashing, and he's kind of hiding below Hercules' leg. Uh, we move on to the splash page, where, of course, we have no credits. But I am going to give you the credits anyway, because they're actually at the back of the book. David Michelini was the writer on this. Walt Simonson did the layouts, and I'm guessing very rough layouts based on the cover and more of the art within the book that we'll talk about later. Bob Layton was the finishing artist, and Denny O'Neill was the editor. Um, so we, we uh, move on to the splash page, and we have a definite change here, but we have Hercules... And he is busting up some robots, not fire cannons like we saw on the cover, but he's busting up robots. And we have in the background David Rigg, who, remember, he was revealed as the opponent uh, last episode. And he's uh, uh, sitting in this weird sort of chair wired up to various machines. And these uh, robots are coming out and trying to attack them. The title of the story is Finale. Of course, it's unfortunate it's not the finale of the series. We still have a few more issues. And David Rigg says, Yield, godling, yield to die. Nay, David Rigg, I'll not yield to any betrayer's demands. Not now, and not ever. And we have a caption here. The time, one minute after our last issue. The place, a fortified bunker on the Isle of Man. The scene, confusion, confrontation, chaos. Think, godling, says David Rigg. These plasticine robots are but one of the weapons at my command. You would do well to reconsider your actions. And Kevin is, her, is cowering in the back, and he's with, uh, what's her name, the, the girl, saying, uh, what? Wait a minute. That's not Dave's voice. There's something wrong here. Aye, Kevin, but something to a strong fist to a traitor's mouth would make right, I'll wager. Your words are bold, fool. But let us see if you're as courageous and deprived of your minions. And he shoots a uh, energy beam out of his hand. David Rigg does. Says a bolt of crackling energy spits from the electronic connections at David Rigg's wrist, activating a series of huge electromagnets set beneath the chamber's door. And uh, there's this giant U-shaped magnet that turns on and you get energy coruscating from it. An action that, while seemingly ignored by the attacking hordes of plastic robots, has the most disastrous effect on the metallic androids serving Hercules' cause. And that's those uh, girl androids that we had last issue. The ones that are kind of dressed like Bullet Woman. Yeah. So they all start collapsing to the floor while these uh, plastic ones uh, keep uh, moving on. And it says, to say nothing of the unexpected effect it has in a certain feminine member of our cast. Yeah, there's something goes thwack at the back of Jennifer's head and she falls down. Uh, and she is down face forward on, on the ground. And yeah, and it says, but Jennifer Monroe's inert form goes unnoticed among the others as, and Hercules is shouting here, Jennifer, Kevin, fall back. The numbers are too great. We must make good our escape. I give these bothersome fleas something else to worry about. And he grabs this sort of giant green eye beam from where I'm not really sure. It wasn't on the ground. Um, not, I don't know where he got it. Anyway, he finds a giant metallic green eye beam somewhere. And he uh, uh, uses it to collapse a bunch of machinery on top of all these plastic robots that are attacking them, somehow miraculously not injuring anybody he knows. 
Uh, then the boy and the dog and Hercules duck into a corridor, and they're going up this sort of spiral staircase sort of thing. It looks like a tower, maybe. And he's grabbed Kevin by the by the wrist and is dragging him along, and he says, Hurry, lad. I don't know how much time I've bought us. Hey, take it easy, Herc. These passageways might be booby-trapped. And besides, and of course it is booby-trapped, and this sort of giant spiky comb sort of shoots out of the wall with a sproing, and it, it's, it is the dumbest looking thing I've ever seen. Anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, Hercules is too tough for it. It smashes against Hercules and goes skirmash and uh, bursts uh, apart like like uh, into, into little pieces. Hercules goes, I, lad, you were saying? And Kevin says, I was saying, Hercules, that besides the fact that we don't know where we're going, we've left Jenny back in the other room. But uh, he, Hercules is like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, they're standing there, and all of a sudden they are being attacked by... The fiery gun things. Yeah, so this is happening now. This is just what was happening on the cover. And Kevin says, what? Heat. And I can hear flames crackling. Because flames crackle when they're being shot out of a gun. We all know that. And Hercules says, aye, it would seem our trials are not over yet. And he punches something. I'm really not sure. I mean, he's way far away from this fire gun, which looks like it's like 30 feet away from them. But uh, he throws something or hits it, or I'm not sure. But anyway, it goes spraksh, and that is broken. And we shift scenes. We're back down in the room where Jennifer collapsed and where all the uh, booby androids are laying on the ground. She's laying there, and she's thinking to herself, huh, I feel like I've gone three rounds with a Mack truck. Oh, cliche much. But at least those freaky robots are gone. But now that I notice it... So are Kevin and Hercules. Well, since our ex-friend there seems to be conveniently catatonic, maybe I can slip away and try to find the others. So yeah, so Dave Rigg is sitting in the chair and he's not moving at all. He doesn't react to any of this. And she goes slipping away. Judging from the length and complexity of these corridors, that shouldn't take more than five or six years. And we shift scenes and we are back at the mainland citadel of games mistress Agatha Sims. And uh, she says, huh, it seems my rather reluctant allies have failed. Since the defenses they were sent to destroy still function, oh well, I suppose that if you want something done right, you'll just have to do it yourself. And she looks very like uh, Agatha Harkness here, I have to say. But anyway, she gets a evil grin on her face and says, smiling gently, the silver-haired Lady Agatha works delicate machinery. Reaching back through time once more to the bloody skies of World War II to bring forth another simulacrum, a solid image as a pawn in her ultimate war game. Only this pawn is somewhat unique. It is the Enola Gay, and though its name may not spark memories, its cargo will never be forgotten it carries the first atomic bomb ever to fall on the pitiful race of man. And yeah, so we have this airplane suddenly appearing here. And we shift scenes back to Hercules and Kevin, and they're wandering through sewers. What a very Doctor Who thing to do. Anyway, they're in the installation's maintenance tunnels, as it says, though they're full of water. So that spells sewer to me. Anyway, and Hercules says, uh, 
This passage seems to lead in the right direction, Kevin. With luck, we should soon be back at the control room. Terrific. Then we can grab Jenny and get out of this madhouse. Aye. As soon as I've given David Rigg a suitable reward for his treachery. Ah, come on, Herc. Dave isn't behind all this. He can't be. Lady Agatha said she's been fighting someone on this island for weeks. And Dave's only been missing for a day. Well, someone must be to blame, says Hercules. And the caption says, Yes, Hercules, someone. Or as you think when you reach Tunnel's End and stare through a thin mesh grill into the control chamber beyond. Something. And we see David Rigg sitting in the chair, and he is having, like, electricity being pumped through him, and he's got, his hand is in this weird, unnatural position. Actually, I can kind of do it. It's his, his, his fingers outstretched and thumb outstretched, and then his little finger bent in a very awkward manner. I guess I, guess I can do that, but you kind of have to do that on purpose. It's not something that's going to happen on accident. <laughs> anyway, so David is saying, but why? What are you, why are you doing this? And why to me? And there's a glowing Kirby crackle man who is standing in front of him. At least he sees him standing in front of him. He might not actually be there. And he, uh, he says, the answer is simplicity itself, David Rigg. You are human, and as you can plainly see, I am not. Even this form is not my natural one. I merely chose it to make communication simpler, so that you may fully understand the importance of the task you are about to perform. Yeah, this guy kind of looks like a cross between the human torch and the absorbing man, except he's, his body's full of Kirby crackle, and he's got like energy cascading around him. For I am the animate representation of the Sims Analog Data Energizer, the most advanced computer defense system ever devised, and I have been under unprovoked and ever-escalating attack for the last several weeks. Recently, it became obvious that nuclear retaliation is inevitable, as even now a crude atomic device is being sent against me. However, because of a built-in fail-safe measure in my programming, I require a human operative to launch any nuclear weapons. Therefore, I sent automated aides to recruit such an operative to recruit you, David Rigg. And we see he's got his arm up in the air and he's doing a very Ditko-ish sort of pose, like a model or something. And we see the airplane that Agatha summoned, the Enola Gay, is getting closer and closer. Even as I speak, the attacking aircraft is being destroyed. And as soon as you release that crimson restraining lever, my nuclear missiles will destroy the attacker. And uh, he's trying to force David to pull this, this lever thing. And uh, David is trying to resist it, but says he's saying, The wires, the connections, moving my arm, can't control myself, can't keep from... And uh, just as that happens, uh, Hercules and Kevin come bursting through the wall. And Hercules, uh, is um, he's got this guy growl on his face. And Kevin is behind him trying to keep from getting, being impaled by these flying metal bars. And he's saying, Hercules, you got to stop him. If he pulls that lever. I know, lad. I know. And he smashes through and he says, I was wrong about you, David Rigg. But perhaps I can make amends by, what, a barrier, some sort of energy shield. So it's preventing him from uh, getting to David Rigg. 
and we see Riggs' hand is kind of going up and up and up and is about ready to grab the uh, the lever. By the snows of Olympus, I must go through that shield and pray to Zeus that I'm not too late. And uh, we see his fist going crom, and just as he goes crom, David Rigg grabs the handle and pulls it down with a click, and we shift scenes. And we are several maze-like passages away where Jennifer Monroe is wandering around, looking very boobalicious. It says here, uh, she's thinking, Well, so far, so good. At least I haven't run into any more of those Tinker Toy robots, but then I haven't exactly done anything to help either. And since Dave and Hercules think I'm incapable of anything more constructive than mending a broken fingernail, maybe it's about time I showed them how wrong they can be. And she's wandering through the section of hallway that says, no unauthorized personnel beyond this point. Keep out. And uh, she sees there's a uh, machine here, and I guess she's going to smash it. And she says, this piece of loose pipe seems to be the only tool around. Don't know how much damage I can do with it. But I sure mean to find out. And she's, she uh, is thinking all of this up until she says find out. So anybody listening from you know down the corridor is just going to hear somebody screaming, find out, and smashing something. But while Jennifer Monroe may not learn the results of her actions until much later, there are others who experience those results with a great deal of immediacy. And it looks like uh, Dave Rigg is being uh, electrocuted. And there's like energy pouring into him, and he's and uh, the he's I guess jerking so violently that everything is exploding. <laughs> the the, uh, the cables are all like burning, and yeah. So anyway, um, Hercules says because he has to speak the obvious, the shield, the cables, they're exploding. Something must have overloaded the circuits, says Kevin. But Dave, is is he? And Hercules has grabbed David Rigg, and, and David Rigg has kind of thrown his arm around Hercules' neck in a very loving way. And Hercules says, no, lad, he's alive. Though for how much longer, I cannot say. Then we've got to hurry and... Huh? That rumbling. Oh, my God, I almost forgot. We've got to get to the entranceway, Hercules, fast. That computer was talking about launching nuclear missiles. And we've got to stop it before... And there's a giant boarum and a foosh as a giant missile takes off out of a missile silo and a giant burst of flame and is heading upward, upward, and ever upward. And uh, so they're both uh, Hercules and Kevin are kind of looking after it, even though Kevin can't see it. And, uh, and Kevin says, the missile, it got away. It must be heading for Lady Agatha's Citadel. And listen, silo's opening. The computer's going to launch more missiles. They'll turn the English coast into a cinder. They'll... They'll do nothing, lad. Not if I can help it. And believe me, I can help it, says Hercules. And he grabs some sort of uh, wreckage. And he throws the uh, the wreckage at the missiles that are launching. And they're, they're all going roar as, they, as they're launching out of their silos. But he throws this uh, piece of wreckage so hard that it just smashes the top of all the missiles with a kick. And yeah, so that's very silly, but it seems to work. And we shift scenes again, and we are back in the, uh, the this factory room where Jennifer Monroe is. She's looking at the, all the broken machinery on the ground, and she says, uh, All my less than delicate efforts have gotten me as a floor full of broken gizmos. 
and an arm that feels like I just swam the English Channel. There's got to be something around here that'll do more damage than... And she opens a little cabinet, and it is a big red button marked auto-destruct, because that's what you leave laying around for people to find. (laughs) And she's like, well, what do you know? And she goes to push the button, and a whole bunch of these stupid plasticine robots come bursting in. They look very happy. I think it's just the design that they look like they've got a big old smile on their face. Oh boy, I'm still not sure what this spiffy little button does. Well, it says auto-destruct right on top of it. But considering the alternatives that just waltz through that solid steel door... Uh, So she hurriedly clicks the button, and uh, all of a sudden the robots start to fight each other. And they're going thwud, and yeah, so they're fighting amongst themselves. And she's, you know, obviously she's in the middle of the fight, but she's not being fought. And she's like, jeez... Jennifer, my girl, I think you've just pulled the plug. And she runs out uh, of the room and down the hallway. And there she finds the rest of the party. We've got Hercules. We've got Kevin. We've got David Riggin, and his uh, tidy whities and a bunch of broken robots. And she goes, Kevin, Hercules, then you're okay. But Dave, he's in pretty bad shape, Jen, says Kevin. Aye, as will soon be, I fear, judging from those explosions. That's the self-destruct mechanism I activated. The effects must be spreading. Now we'd better get going too, says Kevin. And they they all start running away from the uh, exploding building. Come on, dog. Lead us to the beach. Those landing crafts Lady Agatha sent are our only chance. I didn't realize that that Kevin would call his dog Dog. (laughs) But okay. (laughs) I seem to recall the dog having a name. Anyway, it says... And within moments after the time-stolen flotilla is reached, a course is set on an automatic pilot. So they get on board, and apparently the the boat just sails automatically. And they're sailing away, and Jennifer says, Whew, that was close. Too close, Jen. Those destruct charges are ordinary explosives, but I've got a feeling when they reach the nuclear stockpiles, that whole island's going to go... And there's a giant nuclear explosion, a whole page worth of nuclear explosion... Shrakabutum. And uh, if you know anything about nuclear explosions, they're not nearly far enough away from this to survive it. <laughs> anyway, so they all died. The end. Oh, wait, no, that's not what happened, unfortunately. So there's a Shrakabutum, and there's just a big explosion, and everyone's fine. So nuclear explosions in the DC universe, yeah, not so, not so deadly. Anyway, uh, we get a close-up here of Hercules' face, and he's saying, uh, "'Twould seem you mortals have learned a great deal about destruction over the centuries. I must say I'm impressed." "'Don't be, Hercules. There aren't very many of us who are proud of that accomplishment.'" And the boat sails on, and it doesn't look like a crew carrier they were talking about. It looks like some kind of weird cargo ship. Anyway, so uh, the boat travels and takes them to the English coastline, and they're uh, you know coming up on the uh, the citadel that uh, they left. A Lady Agatha lives. Jennifer says, "What, Lady Agatha Citadel? But it should be nothing but rubble by now." And the ship lands, and they get off the boat, and they've they've wrapped up uh, Dave in some sheets. It looks like, and they're they're going inside the building. Stay with David, Jennifer, while Kevin and I look inside for the answer to this puzzle. Don't you mean you'll look, Hercules? I'm blind, remember. Aye, lad, but if I can reach Lady Sims, you won't be for... 
And Lady Sims uh, arrives on her weird monorail thingy that she has. And she's like, hello, boys. I'm glad to see that you're back from the front. I had wanted to thank you personally for the victory you helped me win. We do work so well together, don't you think? I'm sure that next time... There'll be no next time, woman, says Hercules. As by all the laws and logic, there should be no this time. Because you should be dead. What? Oh, you mean that nuclear missile? Why, that was no problem at all. When I saw it approaching my citadel... When I saw it approaching my citadel... I merely reversed the polarity and my time manipulator, caught the missile like a badly hit cricket ball, and sent it back into another time. And we see that all that happening in in flashback. And kind of a, a, there actually is kind of a groovy, weird uh, moire effect here going on with one of these uh, pages here. Anyway, of course, being in something of a rush, I wasn't able to send it too very far. Merely of October of 1986. Somewhere in Greece, I believe. Though I don't think that's of any consequence. Enough prattling, woman, says Hercules. We had a bargain. We helped you defeat your enemy, and now you're going to restore this lad's sight. Or else I... No, says Kevin. Eh? I said no, blast it. I'm not letting that old witch touch me. She and her bloody machines have done enough, but... I don't understand, says Hercules. No? Well, then think back to when we first met, Hercules. Remember how I told you I was touring the Middle East when World War III broke out? And how my brother died pushing me to safety when the first bomb, the one that started the stupid war, hit? Well, maybe I forgot to mention the time and place. It was Greece, October 1986. And that is Hercules Unbound, issue number nine, the end. And of course, we do have a few things to say about this issue, and we will be doing so right after this message. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs> The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we're back. So, of course, we have a few things to say about the issue, as we always do. So we're going to start with the story, because the story is by far the weak spot. Not that this issue really has any strong spots. It is pretty... Yeah, it is a pretty lame uh, sort of of story. Now, I know that David Michelini went off to write some some great stuff. I do believe that this is his first time working with Bob Layton. And, of course, the two of them went on to do Iron Man together in a very critically acclaimed run in The Demon in a Bottle and all that stuff. Yeah, that was Michelini and Layton. I do believe that this is also Bob Layton's first time drawing Hercules. And, of course, Bob Layton, no stranger to Hercules. I mean, he drew the, the Hercules minis over at Marvel, too. So a couple of interesting points of convergence here. This is a pretty inauspicious beginning to that partnership, I have to say. The layouts were done by by Simonson, but there's not a lot of Simonson in this issue. I think even the layouts were 
were really phoned in. It was obviously a real rush job. It's a, a marked departure from what we've been seeing in the series so far, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we no longer have Wally Wood on the book. This is uh, you know, the first issue without Wood, I believe, that this was right after Wally Wood had his stroke. And so yet yeah, we had probably had to, to finish this this issue very quickly story yeah it's it's not much to write home about it it's pretty awful in fact but it is more or less consistent with what has gone on before the the shock twist the world war three the great disaster was started by basically a little old lady in a glass tube you know i don't think that that's what kirby had in mind when he created the great disaster i must say but what do I know? I mean, I think at this point, Kirby was back at Marvel anyway, so I, DC doesn't care what they did with the properties that he created. But uh, yeah, so story-wise, it's really nothing special, and it's actually kind of stupid. Uh, the writer, Mr. Michelini, apparently got all of his knowledge about plasticine from a Beatles song. Uh, that's mentioned in uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And I don't think he bothered looking to see what plasticine is so in case you don't realize what plasticine is it is a soft colored material used by children for modeling so basically plasticine is synthetic clay in other words play-doh so those robots that were giving hercules and company so much trouble in the beginning of the book are made of essentially play-doh that yeah i mean i called them plastic because i think that that's actually what what michelini meant because the yeah, they wouldn't be affected by the giant magnet but the idea of any kind of effective robot being made of of a play-doh like substance it's it's laughable and it's indicative i think of the poor quality of this book in general speaking of poor quality the art is pretty shitty as well. Um, Simonson is, is involved. I don't think this is work that, that if you ask him, he's probably particularly proud of. Uh, he did just bare layouts from the looks of it and you know, Leighton doing the finishes. There is wonkiness everywhere. The, the faces are wonky. The anatomy is certainly wonky. There's nothing here that is recognizable of Simonson as he was drawing Thor in later years. Uh, there's uh, just a hint of the Wally Wood boobs and butts uh, in this. They, they kind of get rid of that early on when the, uh, the female robots are destroyed. And only the scenes with Jennifer do you actually have the, uh, you know, the little bit of TNA. And with Jennifer, she's getting more buxom and bigger butted every issue. She, yeah, she, she is very looking very much like Daisy Duke here, and you know the torn off shorts and the shirt that's tied in, in, in the between the breasts and yeah, I they're they're definitely going for a little bit of the TNA here. The machinery is not convincing. The the posing, like I said, universally poor. The the stupid comb spike thing that comes flying out of the wall. I can't imagine that that be much of a threat for anything. It's about as aerodynamic as a comb. So basically, Hercules is being attacked by a giant hair pick. 
like like the like those big old combs that, that people used to carry in their back pocket in the 70s uh that's it's it's almost exactly like that you got this uh this old lady agatha who apparently started world war three like i mentioned earlier and th- this weird energy glowing thing you know the, the animate representation of the sims analog data energizer they really haven't explained anything about it and it, it's not very convincing, I don't think, anyway. I mean, the, the, this whole idea of the machine pulling stuff from the past and using it is, is kind of silly anyhow. Uh, but they really don't give it any kind of, I don't know, any kind of reason for doing what it's doing. There's no motivation here. So we, we're also not told how it does what it does, how it controls people, et cetera, et cetera. We're just expected to go along with it. And I don't think that it, this issue is well-written enough for us to simply go along with it. There's a couple flashes in here of art that's not too bad. The, there's some uh, very, very wonky anatomy. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to try to post a picture of me doing that hand gesture on, on the Facebook page just for fun because it, it, it's truly comical, but I think I could just about do it. Uh, you, you can all post pictures of yourself doing the hand gesture as well if you want. That would be a little bit of fun. But uh, yeah, the uh, box with the big auto-destruct label and the red big red button uh, is a little bit too on the nose for me. <laughs> it's just I like the Doctor Who uh, reference that we have of re- basically reversing the polarity of the neutron flow. I think that uh, uh, David Michelini had watched uh, you know, a couple of uh, John Pertwee Doctor Who episodes perhaps while in England, because it's clear he went to England because, you know, his portrayal of England in this issue is exactly what it's like. So, yeah, yeah, you can tell I'm being facetious, right? I doubt David Michelini had even looked at a picture of England at this point. I think perhaps art-wise, the, the very best page in the entire issue is the giant mushroom cloud page. It's a, you know, a full page of this nuclear explosion, which is page 26. Uh, the ships are very well drawn. The nuclear explosion is pretty well drawn. I kind of wonder if it was photo-referenced, because it, it may well have been. But they used a um, a series of of dot patterns to create a more effect, which sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. I will say that you know, for the most part, it doesn't work. But, but here, it's worked to a, a reasonable standard, I guess. Um, they don't mention who the colorist is. I'm guessing that the colorist is probably just some production person, but the coloring itself is very basic, very simplistic. I wouldn't call it good, um, but it's also, it could be worse, I guess, but it is very flat, very coloring bookish. There's one particular panel here that I think is very Simonson-ish, and that is uh, page 27, the last panel, where Hercules and, and Kevin are are in Agatha's uh, headquarters and she arrives on her thing. We just have this face shot of Hercules that, that strikes me as a very Simonson-ish sort of thing. Though the way that Agatha is drawn, she, she looks like a cross between Agatha Harkness and, and Aunt May. And... That's especially true in this issue as opposed to what we saw before. I think think last time she was just kind of more like Tweety Bird's owner, and now she's, yeah, looking like uh, an evil Aunt May or something of of that description. This weird, uh, there's a panel that I have to say, it's the most bizarre panel that we have in the whole issue, and that's on uh, page 31. 
And this is a picture of, of Kevin being angry and not wanting uh, Agatha to cure his, his blindness. And he's so angry that he's punching the panel border. And it actually looks like his shoulder is backwards in this picture. It is a very poor piece of, of anatomical drawing among many other bad pieces of anatomical drawing in this in this issue. Mostly involving Kevin, who makes me wonder if he's Plastic Man or something, because his, his anatomy is doing all sorts of wonky stuff. Again, like I said, it, it actually harkens to the days of uh, Rob Liefeld and the extreme 90s and some of the liberties that were taken with anatomy in that period. All right, so I think I'm done complaining about this issue. It's not very good, uh, and I'm hoping that next issue is better. So, yeah. I, I tend to think that that's not going to happen. Anyway, we have fun making fun of it, don't we? All right. So with that, we are wrapping up the show for this week. Once again, folks, if you want to email the show, radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can give us feedback on the show. Tell us what you think of Hercules Unbound or what you don't think about Hercules Unbound or Adventures Endgame or anything else. So uh, feel free to drop us a line there. We also have a Facebook group. Look for Radio Free Asgard on Facebook and you'll find it. With that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast, and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>